Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Wednesday, April 19th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This is the morning segment. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Definitely worth your while to get over there. Excuse me. I would also point you again at the final link in our show notes it is for the vale valley baptist church give sin go campaign uh, we're striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a christian classic education based school so we definitely encourage you to uh, go ahead and click on that link and go ahead and read through it um, and then once you've done that we would ask three things of you we'd ask for you to pray for us we'd ask for you to prayerfully consider giving to us and we'd ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right, well, we're going to be continuing on in our reading of the scripture, as well as our Bible study. Excuse me, in John 7 in the evening section. Uh, so let's go ahead and open up the morning section uh, or segment with the fourth day morning prayer. It's called True Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, Thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation thou art almighty, in the dispensations of providence all wise, in the gospel of grace all love, and in thy Son thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the spirit, that profits by every correction, and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right, and our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text is from Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. No mean miracle was wrought in the rending of so strong and thick a veil, but it was not intended merely as a display of power. Many lessons were herein taught us. The old law of ordinances was put away, and like a worn-out vesture, rent and laid aside. When Jesus died, the sacrifices were all finished, because all, because all fulfilled in him, and therefore the place of their presentation was marked with an evident token of decay. That rent also revealed all the hidden things of the old dispensation. The mercy seat could now be seen, and the glory of God gleamed forth above it. 
By the death of our Lord Jesus, we have a clear revelation of God, for he was not as Moses who put a veil over his face. Life and immortality are now brought to light, and things which have been hidden since the foundation of the world are manifest in him. The annual ceremony of atonement was thus abolished. The atoning blood, which was once every year sprinkled within the veil, was now offered once for all by the great high priest, and therefore the place of the symbolic rite was broken up. No blood of bullocks or of lambs is needed now, for Jesus has entered within the veil with his own blood. Hence, access to God is now permitted and is the privilege of every believer in Christ Jesus. There is no small space laid open through which we may peer at the mercy seat, but the rent reaches from the top to the bottom. We may come with boldness to the throne of the heavenly grace. Shall we err if we say that the opening of the Holy of Holies in this marvelous manner by our Lord's expiring cry was the type of the opening of the gates of paradise to all the saints by virtue of the passion? Our bleeding Lord hath the key of heaven. He openeth and no man shutteth. Let us enter in with him into the heavenly places and sit with him there till our common enemies shall be made his footstool. All right. Now our reading, we're going to be reading Joshua 19 and 20. We're going to be reading Luke 19 verses 28 through the end of the chapter. We'll be reading Psalm 88 and we're reading, uh, let me check, Proverbs 13 verses 12 through 14. So Joshua 19, hear the word of the Lord. Then the second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the sons of Simeon, according to their families and their inheritance, was in the midst of the inheritance of the sons of Judah. So they had as their inheritance Beersheba, or Sheba, and Mulada, and Hazar Shual, and Bala, and Ezim, and Eltalad, and Bethuel, and Horma, and Ziklag, and Beth Markaboth, and Hazar Susa, and Beth Lebaoth, and Sharuhim, thirteen cities with their villages. Ein, Rimon, and Ether. Hang on, sorry. Some, I got something pop up over there. Um, Ain, Rimon, and Ether, and Ashan, four cities with their villages, and all the villages which were around these cities as far as um, Belath Beer, Ramah of the Negev. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the sons of Simeon, according to their families. The inheritance of the sons of Simeon was taken from the portion of the sons of Judah, for the share of the sons of Judah was too large for them. So the sons of Simeon received an inheritance in the midst of Judah's inheritance. Now the third lot came up for the sons of Zebulun, according to their families, and the territory of their inheritance was as far as Sarid. Then their border went up to the west and to Morala. It then reached Debesheth and reached the brook that is from Jokneam. Then it turned from Sarid to the east toward the sunrise as far as the border of Chisloth to Bor, and it went out to Debarath and up to Japhia. From there it passed on to the east toward the sunrise to Gath-Hefer and to eth Kazin, and it went out to Rimon, which curves to Nia, and the border circled around it on the north to Hanathon, and it ended at the valley of Iftahel. Included also were Katah and Nahalal and Shimron and Idalah and Bethlehem, twelve cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the sons of Zebulun according to their families, these cities with their villages. The fourth lot came out for Issachar, for the sons of Issachar, according to their families. And their territory included Jezreel, and Chesaloth, and Shunim, and Hapharim, and Shion, and Anaharath, and Rabith, and Kishion, and Ebez, and Remeth, and En-Ganim, and En-Hadah, 
and Beth Pazez, and the border reached to Tabor and Shahazuma and Beth Shemesh, and their border ended at the Jordan, sixteen cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the sons of Issachar, according to their families, the cities with their villages. Now the fifth lot came out for the tribe of the sons of Asher, according to their families, and their territory was Helkath, and Hali, and Betim, and Akshaph, and Alamelech, and Amad, and Mishal, and it reached to Carmel on the west, and to Shihor Libnath. Then it turned east toward the sunrise to Beth Dagon, and reached to Zebulun, and to the valley of Iftahel, northward to Beth Emek, and Naiel. Then it went out to the north to Kabul, and Ebron, and Rehob, and Haman, and Cana, as far as Great Sidon. Then the border turned to Ramah, and to the fortified city of Tyre. Then the border turned to Hosa, and it ended at the sea by the region of Aksib. Included also were Uma, and Afek, and Rehob, twenty-two cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the sons of Asher, according to their families, these cities with their villages. The sixth lot came out for the sons of Naphtali, for the sons of Naphtali, according to their families, and their border was from Heleph, from the oak, and Zananim, and Adami Neked, and Jabniel, as far as Lakum, and it ended at the Jordan. Then the border turned westward to Asnoth Tabor, and went out from there to Hukok, and it reached to Zebulun on the south, and reached to Asher on the west, and to Judah at the Jordan to the east, toward the sunrise. Now the fortified cities were Zidim, Zer, and Hamath, Rakath, and Chinnereth, and Adama, and Ramah, and Hazor, and Kadesh, and Edre, and Inhazor, and Yeron, and Migdal-el, Horem, and Beth-anath, and Beth-shemesh, nineteen cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the sons of Naphtali, according to their families, the cities with their villages. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of the sons of Dan, according to their families, and the territories of their inheritance was Zorah, and Eshtal, and Irshemesh, and Shalabhim, and Aijalon, and Ithla, and Elon, and Temna, and Ekron, and Eltekeh, and Gibbethon, and Baalath, and Jehud, and Benibarak, and Gathrimon, and Mejarkon, and Rakon, with the territory over against Joppa. And the territory of the sons of Dan went out from them, for the sons of Dan went up and fought with Lashem, and captured it. Then they struck it with the edge of the sword, and possessed it, and settled in it, and they called Lashem Dan, after the name of Dan their father. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the sons of Dan, according to their families these cities with their villages. So they finished apportioning the land for inheritance by its borders. Then the sons of Israel gave an inheritance in their midst to Joshua the son of Nun. In accordance with the command of Yahweh, they they gave him the city for which he asked, Timnath Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim. So he built the city and settled in it. These are the inheritances which Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the households of the tribes of the sons of Israel, distributed by Lot and Shiloh before Yahweh at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. Joshua 20 Then Yahweh spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Designate the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you by the hand of Moses, that the manslayer who strikes down any person unintentionally without premeditation may flee there, and they shall become for you as a refuge from the avenger of blood. And he shall flee to one of these cities, and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city, and speak his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. And they shall take him into the city to them, and give him a place, so that he may live among them. 
Now if the avenger of blood pursues him, then they shall not surrender the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor without premeditation, and he did not hate him beforehand. And he shall live in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the manslayer shall return and come to his own city and to his house, to the city from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh and Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shishim in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. Now beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the appointed cities for all the sons of Israel, and for the sojourner who sojourns among them, that whoever strikes down any person unintentionally may flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood, blood until he stands before the congregation. All right, Luke 19, verse 28 through the end of the chapter. And after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it happened that when he approached Bethpage, Bethphage, and Bethany, near the mount called of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, in which as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, Because the Lord has need of it. So when those who were sent departed, they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. <laughs> and they brought it to Jesus, uh, and after they threw their garments on the colt, they put Jesus on it, and as he was going, they were spreading their garments on the road. Now as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God, rejoicing with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones will cry out. Now as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he cried over it, saying, If you knew in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, And my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him, and they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people hung upon every word he said. Right, psalm 88 A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, for the choir director according to Mahalath Leonoth, a maskil of Heman the Ezraite. Ezraite. O Yahweh, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and throughout the night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry of lamentation. For my soul has been saturated with calamities, and my life has reached Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, released among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the pit far below, in dark places, in the depths. 
Your wrath lies upon me, and you afflict me with all your breaking waves. Selah. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have sent me as an abomination to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Yahweh. I have spread out my hand to you. Will you do wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Selah. Will your loving kindness be recounted in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But as for me, O Yahweh, I have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. O Yahweh, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and about to breathe my last from my youth on. I bear your terrors. I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your horrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. All right. And finally, Proverbs 13, verses 12 through 14. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The instruction of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. All right. And that's that's it. That is our reading for the day. Um, I thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that uh, it is beneficial to you, that it edifies you and equips you. Um, and I'm very grateful for the time with you. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. I'll, I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you um, for the evening set and for tomorrow. Um, let's go ahead and close out with prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called Devotion. Devotion. Let's pray. God of my end, it is my greatest, noblest pleasure to be acquainted with thee and with my rational and mortal soul. It is sweet and entertaining to look into my being when all my powers and passions are united and engaged in pursuit of thee. When my soul longs and passionately breathes after conformity to thee and the full enjoyment of thee. No hours pass away with so much pleasure, pleasure as those spent in communion with thee and with my heart. Oh, how desirable, how profitable to the Christian life is a spirit of holy watchfulness and godly jealousy over myself when my soul is afraid of nothing except grieving and offending thee. And blessed God, my father and friend, whom I then love and long to please rather than be happy in myself, knowing as I do that this is the pious temper worthy of the highest ambition and closest pursuit of intelligent creatures and holy Christians, May my joy derive from glorifying and delighting thee. I long to fill all my time for thee, whether at home or in the way, to place all my concerns in thy hands, to be entirely at thy disposal, having no will or interest of my own. Help me to live to thee forever, to make thee my last and only end, so that I may never more in one instance love my sinful self. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful day. Um, and, and again, I continue to implore you to do all you do for the glory of God. And I uh, hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast.
Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday, April 19th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Uh, the Faith Comes From Hearing, I'm continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast continues to be a humble member of the Christian podcast community. Uh, a lot of great listening over there. You can find us at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Definitely worth your while. All right, well, we're going to be getting into our Bible study in John chapter 7. Well, let's go ahead and open up with prayer. We're going to be open up with a prayer called the Gift of Gifts from Valley Vision. Let's pray. O source of all good, what shall I render to thee for the gift of gifts? Thine own dear Son, begotten, not created. My Redeemer, proxy, surety, substitute, is self-emptying, incomprehensible, his infinity of love beyond the heart's grasp. Herein is wonder of wonders. He came below to raise me above, was born like me that I might become like him. Herein is love. When I cannot rise to him, he draws nearer on wings of grace and to raise me to himself. Herein is power. When deity and humanity were infinitely apart, he united them in dissoluble unity, the uncreated and the created. Herein is wisdom. When I was undone with no will to return to him and no intellect to devise recovery, he came, God incarnate, to save me to the uttermost as man to die my death, to shed satisfying blood on my behalf, to work out a perfect righteousness for me. O God, take me in spirit to the watchful shepherds, and enlarge my mind. Let me hear good tidings of great joy, and hearing, believe, rejoice, praise, adore. My conscience bathed in an ocean of repose, my eyes lifted to a reconciled father. Place me with ox, ass, camel, goat, to look with them upon my Redeemer's face and in him account myself delivered from sin. Let me with Simeon clasp the newborn child to my heart, embrace him with undying faith, exulting that he is mine and I am his. In him thou hast given me so much that heaven can give no more. Amen. All right. Now the evening um, devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for April 19th. The text is from Revelation 3.14. Um, and it is the Amen. The word Amen solemnly confirms that which went before. And Jesus is the great confirmer, immutable, forever is the Amen, and all his promises. Sinner, I would comfort thee with this reflection. Jesus Christ said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you come to him, he will say Amen. He will say Amen in your soul. His promise shall be true to you. He said in the days of his flesh, the bruised reed I will not break. O thou poor, a broken, bruised heart, if thou comest to him, he will say Amen to thee, and that shall be true in thy soul as in hundreds of cases in bygone years. Christian, is not this very comforting to thee also, that there is not a word which has gone out of the Savior's lips, which he has ever retracted? The words of Jesus shall stand when heaven and earth shall pass away. If thou gettest a hold of but half a promise, thou shalt find it true. Beware of him who is called clip promise, who will destroy much of the comfort of God's word. Jesus is yea and amen in all his offices. He was a priest to pardon and cleanse once. He is amen as priest still. He was a king to rule and reign for his people and to defend them with his mighty arm. He is an amen king, the same still. He was a prophet of old to foretell good things to come. His lips are most sweet and drop with honey still. He is an amen prophet. 
He is amen as to the merit of his blood. He is amen as to his righteousness. That sacred robe shall remain shall remain most fair and glorious when nature shall decay. He is amen in every single title which he bears. Your husband never seeking a divorce, your friend sticking close closer than a brother, your shepherd which you in death's dark veil, your help and your deliverer, your castle and your high tower, the horn of your strength, your confidence, your joy, your all in all, and your yea and amen in all. All right, where are we going to kick off on our Bible study here? I got to be honest with you, I'm probably going to move through this pretty quickly. Um, I'm recording this a little bit later and I recorded the rest of it. Um, and we've just spent, um, we were unable to stop ourselves from enjoying our time with our sister in Christ. Um, just had a wonderful time having dinner with her. We were very, very grateful for the invitation. Um, but it ran me kind of late and I've got to get to bed so I can get up in the morning. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into this in John seven. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read our, the verses. So we're again in this big section from verse 37 through verse 52 that we're dealing with answering life's ultimate question. And what I told you, um, last evening is, as John MacArthur puts it, and I, and I kind of agree with him. This talks about answering the question, how are you going to deal with Christ? How do you, how are you going to deal with Christ? How were these people going to deal with Christ? And then with you and I, how are we going to deal with Christ? And so we dealt with the invitation last evening and we're going to deal, we're going to start dealing tonight, tomorrow night and Friday night. We're, we're going to try God willing to deal with the responses to Christ's invitation. So this is verses 37 through 52. I'm going to read you the verse we're going to deal with today. So the invitation was verse 37 through 39. So we dealt with that last evening. I'm going to read you verses 42 through 44, where we're going to deal with the responses. And what we're going to deal with is the first two types of response, the responses, the convinced and the contrary. And, and I thought I'd do that because it's kind of a nice comparison, the convinced and the contrary. So um, John 7, verse 40 through 44. So hear the word of the Lord. Some of the crowd, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this truly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, no, for is the Christ going to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them were wanting to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. All right. So, you know, I, I'm going to try to, I'm going to kind of abbreviate my introduction. I realize I've been getting kind of long trying to, you know, chase my way from uh, John 7, 1 to where we are and it probably boring you each night. I just don't want us to jump into our verses and for anybody who hasn't listened to the previous one, ones not really have a grasp of where we're at in the the overall context. But I'm going to kind of summarize. So we saw there at the beginning of John 7, after, you know, feeding the 5,000, everything that followed that, we then saw what what we called, what what John MacArthur called and what, what we talked about, the divine timetable. Uh, Jesus' brothers trying to get him to go up to this Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is six months prior to the Passover where he's going to go and he's going to be crucified and and he's going to rise. So not quite the time. He doesn't want to go up in the big group. We talked about that. Doesn't want to go up in the big group. Is going to go up separate from them. Doesn't really talk about that with the brothers, but he's clear that it's not the time. It, it's not the appropriate time. So he comes up in the middle of the, uh, the middle of the, of the feast. Um, so 
you know, road's pretty clear. He actually goes through, they believe, um, when you kind of synchronize the four gospels that he, that, that was a trip through Samaria. He went through Samaria. So pretty empty roads. So no, no chance of big crowds, anybody trying to, um, randomly crown him King, like they tried to do after the 5,000, you know, all of that. So he gets there, he goes into the temple, um, and the and temple had her court where the rabbis teached and he was teaching. Um, and so then we saw him, we saw the claims of Christ. We saw the claims of Christ, you know, his, his, uh, his, his proclaiming his, um, the source of his, of his knowledge, which was God and God alone. We saw his surety. We saw his selflessness. Um, we saw the sentence that Jesus pronounced upon the crowd there in Jerusalem, making clear that they were not adhering to their own religion. They, they were not, even though they had totally falsified this thing, they weren't even adhering to the laws they claimed to stand on. And they claimed he was violating, which he wasn't. Um, so he, he brings down, he calls that sentence down. And then, then we saw the signs. We, we saw his signs um, where Christ sits there. The thing they're trying to bash him on is violating the Sabbath. Again, they, they did that in Judea. So he, he's been up in Galilee. He's come back to Judea. Last time he was in Judea, or at least last time in the gospel of John, he was in Judea. He healed a man at the pool of Bethesda who had been lame for 38 years, probably most of the guy's life. So he had healed him. He healed him on a Sabbath. They had a problem with that. So he calls out there when talking about his signs where, um, they think it's okay to circumcise a baby on the eighth day. If that eighth day falls on the Sabbath, eighth day after birth, if that falls on a Sabbath. So to symbolically purify him, but to heal somebody, it's not okay on the Sabbath. Um, and, and, you know, we see another place and I know I've brought it up over the, the last couple of weeks, you know, he, he, he calls them out and I forget where it is. And, and probably in one of the other gospels, um, that he says, listen, you'll, you'll go if, 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 you know, you have a child or, or a slave or, or one of your animals fall in a well on the Sabbath, you're going to go pull him out. So he can't heal this guy. I mean, he really calls out their hypocrisy. So then we went into the reactions to his claims. We went into the re reactions of to his claims, and what we first saw there were the were the was the dense confusion. Um, the, these people were sitting there going, bee, 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 bee. They, they weren't they were confused. I mean, not that they were being dumb, but they're sitting there looking at it and they're going, "Wait a minute, isn't this the guy?" You know, you know, and of course, well, let's say during his claims, they were they were sitting there going what's going on here? But then at this point he's going, um, the confusion here is that they're like, isn't this the guy that they want to kill? So why is he being, or this, isn't this the guy they want to seize? And yet he's still wandering around here teaching and they're not doing anything about it. And like I said, by, at that point, the Sanhedrin really, the, and the Pharisees, none of them had really put out a statement, put out any kind of a statement. And we, we got to know enough about that in our day and time, people putting out a statement, they got to put out a statement to put out their position on something or other, sometimes even when nobody cares what their position is. But in this case, the, 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 the Israelite people, they were, they were supposedly, they were supposed to be guided by these people. These people were supposed to be their shepherds, you know, the Pharisees. And I actually didn't know this. I was today years old when I found this, that really the Pharisees, even though the Pharisees had come from a sect that was trying to bring back the true piety of the worship of God, um, they were not typically from the Levites or necessarily from, well, maybe, maybe they were Levites, but, um, they were not necessarily the priesthood. The Sadducees were. The Pharisees were more lay religious leaders. 
So religious leaders among the populace. Okay. But so they, but in their time, you got, we got to realize, I mean, it's very easy for us to sit there and go, we, we look at a pastor of whatever church in wherever, even if it's not our, the church we go to. And sadly enough, they don't necessarily have a lot of pull on how we live, live our daily lives. I mean, for those of us that are truly saved and, and are truly blessed with a godly pastor, a godly under shepherd to lead us. Yes. He and his preaching and teaching do lead us. But, but back in that day, these these were the people that led them. These were the people who showed them how to do things, when, where, why, how, what that they should do. So they've not given any direction, so they're confused. And then we saw the divided convictions. We saw the divided convictions that that they were sitting there going, "Wait a minute, what what is going on here?" Let me see. Back it up here. Um. No, no, no. Sorry. Um, so here we go. Uh, verses 30, I think it's 30 through 32. So they were seeking to seize him. So th- this was even some of the crowd. So here's the divided conviction. They were seeking to seize him, yet no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Again, the divine timetable, his hour had not yet come. It's going to be six months from now at the Passover feast, not this feast of booths. But verse 31, but many of the crowd believed in him and they were saying, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than this man did? Of course, like I said, that question expects a no answer that, that, that when the Christ comes, he's not going to do any more signs than this man is doing. Um, and of course, but of course the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering these things about him. And of course, and, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. So again, divided conviction. Some don't believe and want to seize him. Some are starting or at least showing some sense of believing. And then you got the Pharisees that whether they believe or not, they're sending out people to seize him because they don't want to lose their power. And then, of course, we saw the derisive contempt um, verses 33 through 36. Um that, you know, Jesus says, for a little while longer I'm with you than I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And, of course, the, the Jews mock him. They mock him. Where Where is he going? What is he going to go out and um, go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Basically, what's he going to go teach the Gentiles? You know, um, and then they mock what he said. What What is this he's saying? You'll seek me and will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. So like I said, they're mocking him. And so last evening, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really, I've been trying to shorten this up and I'm not doing a very good job, but last evening we dealt with the invitation and basically it was the gospel. Jesus cries out. And again, I, I need to make clear, and again, I'm going to beat on this, but this last day of the feast, great day of the feast, and out here in the outer course where the rabbis teach, they usually are sitting and their disciples are around them and they're teaching in more of a pedagogical tone. They're not loud and boisterous and whatever, but Jesus stands up, which is unheard of and cries out. And he cries out this message. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So he's given them the gospel. If you are thirsty, if you are thirsty for righteousness, come to me and drink basically making clear there's nowhere else you can go to drink. You've got to come to me and drink. But also he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He will have eternal life. He who believes in me will have eternal life and will 
and will have that outflowing of the spirit to pour out into others. You will manifest that. So he's giving the gospel here. And of course, like I said, we, we see John here. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here's the responses. So we're gonna we're talking about the responses today. And of course, now we're what? We're 11 minutes in already. And we haven't even started about the responses. Sorry, I dragged that out longer than I meant to. Um, but we're talking about the responses. And we're talking about the convinced and the contrary. So verses 40 and the beginning of 41. Some of the crowd, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this truly is the prophet. And others were saying, this is the Christ. So those are the convinced, okay? So it's possible that some of them that are saying this truly is the prophet are referring back to the prophet that Moses proclaimed back in, I believe it was Leviticus. But but anyways, back in the Old Testament, Moses said, a prophet will come from among us. You know, there's going to be a prophet here. He is going to come and he is going to lead you. He was speaking of Jesus. And so some of them are referring back to that. Some of them may have just been referring to the fact that we know this is a man of God. No matter what the Pharisees and Sadducees are doing, we know this is a man of God because of all that he is doing. So they may not quite be on board with the the ones in verse 41 that are saying, this is the Christ. They may not be quite on board there yet, but they're getting there because this is truly a man of God. At least this is a man of God coming 400 years after the last prophet we had. And we've had John the Baptist and we've got this guy. So these are the ones that are convinced. These are the ones that are getting there. Either they are truly convinced that this is the Christ, the Messiah. This is him or this truly is the prophet. So they had heard that invitation and they were like, this has got to be him. But then you had the contrary. So those are the convicted or convinced, but then you have the contrary. So still others were saying verse, verse end of verse 41, still others were saying, no, for is the Christ going to come from Galilee? <laughs> so again, like, like I've said before, this is a question that expects a no answer. For is the Christ going to come from Galilee? No, absolutely not. Well, honestly, they're correct. The Christ is not going to come from Galilee. And they're like, this guy just came in from Galilee. This guy's been up there preaching in Galilee. He must be a Galilean. They can't even be bothered to do the research to find out that this one is a son of David. Then we see the next verse, verse 42. Again, they ask a valid question, but they're not willing to research to get the right answer. So verse 42, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Again, a question that expects a yes answer the way it's asked. So they're saying, isn't the Christ supposed to come from the seed of David from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Well, yes, of course. But again, the problem is they haven't been bothered. They're not interested. This guy came in from Galilee. He's been up there preaching in Galilee. He must be a Galilean. No discernment. No willingness to put the effort in, to put the work in, to figure out who this guy is. Even with all the signs he's doing, all the healing he's done, all the teaching he's doing, this teaching with authority. Remember, they talk about that over and over. This teaching with authority. This teaching that makes clear that his words are coming from God. 
as opposed to all these other rabbis who either give their own opinion or refer to other rabbis. He's bringing the word of God. He's speaking scripture. But they don't want to do the work. They can't be bothered to do the work to find out that, and that's their misunderstanding. They ask the right questions, but they don't do the research to get the real answers about Jesus. That you're correct. The Christ is not going to come from Galilee, but this man you're talking about is from the seed of David and was born in Bethlehem. So he meets both those criteria. But again, they're not willing to do the work. So verse 43, so a division occurred in the crowd because of him. So you got the, the convinced and the, con, and the contradictory. Is that right? Contradictory. And the contrary, the convinced and the contrary. You got the convinced that what they've seen, what they've heard, the teaching they've heard is more than enough. And for you and I, when we pull out the scriptures and we read, that should be more than enough. But you got the contrary, that they may know intellectually what's supposed to happen, but they don't have the drive or the willingness or the care to be bothered to dig in and find the answers. They make assumptions. Um, how many out there have you run into? Oh, well, you know that Bible thing. Sorry, I need some water here. Sorry about that. Thank you. Um, but they'll go, oh, well, you know, the Bible is full of contradictions. Actually, no, it's not. But they don't want to put the time in to really evaluate those things. Oh, well, you know, it, 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 it contradicts science. No, actually, it doesn't. But they don't want to put the work in. Again, it's that thing that those of us who are saved, those of us who are truly that hunger and thirst for righteousness, that are too, truly thirsty and come to him and drink. We know this is the Christ. This truly is the prophet. We don't need any more. But these, the, the contrary, they've got to throw the questions up. And again, verse 44, some of them were, were wanting to seize him. But no one laid, laid hands on him. Again, it's not that they couldn't lay hands on him. I'm sorry. It wasn't that they couldn't from any man-made reason to seize him. They stand there in the middle of the outer court. He's standing up. It's not like they could miss who he was. All they had to look at the guy standing up and crying out. This is the guy. But it wasn't yet time. It wasn't yet time. Six more months. And then it'll be time. And it's going to be a rough time for Jesus. But he truly is the prophet. He is the Christ. And that's what he's here for. That's what he was here for. But that's the thing. You got to see it. We, we see it there and we see it in our world. We get divided. I, I mean, again, Jesus is clear. He didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. He came to bring division. Even within a household, there are those who are convinced that he truly is the prophet, that he is the Christ. And there are others that all they're going to do is ask for questions, ask more questions and not do the research to answer them. Or 
are going to ask for more. Show us more. I, I mean, we see the Pharisees and Sadducees do that all the time. Show us more miracles. Show us more miracles. Show us more. Tell us more. Show us more. Until it gets to the point that Jesus just says, no. No matter what I show you, you're not going to believe. But so those are our convinced and our contrary. And so tomorrow evening, we will continue on looking through the responses, God willing. All right, let's go ahead and close out with the fourth day evening prayer called God All-Sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine in its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God never seeking life among the dead things of earth or asking for that which satisfies the deluded but may we prize the light of thy smile implore the joy of thy salvation find our heaven in thee thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do though we are fallen creatures thou hast not neglected us in love and pity thou hast provided us a savior apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures we confess our transgressions have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you have a wonderful evening and God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Music.